Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Tiffany here from Swish, and I want to talk about being a problem solver. In my classroom, I'm always telling my equal firsties to be problem solvers. In first grade, that's one thing, but in adult life, it's a whole other. It can be really difficult to train your brain to go into a problem-solving mode. Maybe you don't even know where to start. It's a challenge that we all face in life. But when you learn to better help your brain find solutions, it's truly a great feeling. And if you've ever been thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. BetterHelp is convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's all online. And on top of that, they match you with a therapist just by filling out a brief survey. So when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com swish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com swish. Welcome to Swish and Flick, an all-Potter podcast. Swish and Flick, everyone. Swish and Flick. Hello and welcome to episode 204 of Swish and Flick. I'm Tiffany. I'm Megan. I'm Katie. And I'm Sarah. And this episode is sponsored by Kelly Jackson. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. So today we have a special guest host with us. We would like to give a warm butterbeer welcome to Lori Kim, the talented author of the book, Snape, A Definitive Reading. Welcome to the podcast, Lori. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk Snape. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for agreeing to this. So um, we've been talking to you on Twitter for a while now, DMing, emailing, trying to get um, this set up. So I'm really like, I'm really happy that this is finally happening for all of us. Okay. Me too. So once again, we will be covering chapter two of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Spinner's End. That's right, friends. We are covering it again. And this time, we are going over our own notes from the chapter, as well as Lori's writing on the chapter, and current thoughts. So we are using Snape a Definitive Reading, pulling from the author, as well as our own brains, and I'm really, really excited. I am too. I think we all need a good little breakdown on Snape, you know, to find out if you really love him. I don't love him. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate his character. I say this endlessly. (laughs) Endlessly. And you guys still are on my back about it. Well, Well, it's like your words. Yeah, you said it. But anyways, (laughs) Megan, why don't you talk to us about some Weekly Profit news? All right. So they just announced two new VR experiences at the Harry Potter store in New York City called Chaos at Hogwarts and Wizards Take Flight. And um, me, Katie and Sarah are actually going to go and do these. So that is exciting. I'm really excited. Um, Katie doesn't want to do the flying one because she's worried about motion sickness sickness. i want to do i feel like i can't do any Uh, of these when i go maybe (laughs) you'll have to let me know like if you have motion sickness vr can and 
that can just i mean screens are what mess mess me up a lot and this is literally screen (laughs) i didn't realize when i was asked about this if it was a that it was a virtual reality experience which i have never done and i'm worried i'm gonna get like do you just want to do one (laughs) you gotta try both i don't know yeah i mean we'll see somebody's gotta try both I'm definitely doing <laughs> I don't get motion sickness at all. I'm all here for it. You're so lucky. <laughs> so the chaos at Hogwarts won. The description on the Harry Potter New York website says, after missing the Hogwarts Express at King's Cross Station, an unexpected friend helps get us to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Students, Dobby needs your help after accidentally letting loose a case full of magical creatures. Of course. Journey through Hogwarts Castle and cast spells with your wand to immobilize pixies. Discover hidden secrets and find out if you can manage the chaos at Hogwarts. Harry Potter did it. Psh, I can do I it. I think there's right. one thing to take away from this. Dobby is alive. So the description of <laughs> Wizards Take Flight says, keep your broom steady and fly into the wizarding world. Meet Hagrid at Nocturne Alley and follow him through the skies of London while dodging and battling Death Eaters, casting spells with your wand. Escape through the clouds and soar over the Black Lake towards Hogwarts Castle where you can fly freely around the magical grounds. Accio Firebolt. That sounds like um, Forbidden Journey. Yeah. <laughs> Do you yes. get into the store with this too? Like automatically? Yes. Or do you still have to wait in that line? No, so, you do. So wait, wait if you do line. tickets, you don't have to wait in the Correct. queue. You get shopping time. <gasps> Genius. Yeah, so I guess... Um, well, how much is this, though? $34. So it's like paying to walk into the store if you just do it that way. Yeah. Okay. It's $34 per experience. How long is the experience? I don't... They say... So, because there's some, like, Q&As on the website. So it says, can I book them back to back? And they say, give yourself an hour for each. An so, like, hour? But I think that that includes, like, your checking in time, getting suited up and, like, the VR stuff because you've got, like, the goggles and the hand things. And it's like, I did I did a VR experience at the celebration of Harry Potter, the last R.I.P. celebration of Harry Potter and oh, Universal. Gosh. This was the, it was the last year that they did it. I want to say it was 2017. Um, but they did one where you were no, in Newt. Maybe 18. No, we 17. were podcasting. So it was 17 then. We were podcasting. Was it in the winter of that year? It's in January every year. Oh, there you was. go. Was. Okay. Um, and you got to go in Newt's suitcase. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was really, really cool. And that was technology that is like five years old now at this point, four years old, whatever. Yeah. So like it's probably now. even better. Yeah. So I'm excited. Um, so, yeah. But now, yeah, they let you like pre-purchase your tickets. And then because you get in for the VR experience, you do not have to join the virtual queue to shop. You can shop before or after. Sweet. Yeah. In between. Genius. <laughs> right. They're real thinkers over there at the Wizarding World. So I'm going to bias those tickets. Tonight. We'll have fun. Um, thank you. I will. I wonder if anybody I'll can be in there to it. like vlog you moving around. I'm sure that I'm sure you can. <laughs> it does look silly. It does. Any <laughs> anybody doing VR, like if you're like not in the I mean, VR, you are immersed. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so make sure to follow us on Spotify by clicking the follow button on our page and share this episode with your friends by clicking the three dots in the corner of the episode page. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube at Swish and Flick Podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Swish Flickcast. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Swish Flickcast. Supporting our podcast keeps us going and it gives you access to our exclusive Felix Files episode episodes our discord channel live recordings trivia games swish swag boxes and more thank you all so much for your support if you'd like to send in your potter stories questions concerns etc you can do so to our email at swishflickcast at gmail.com okay i feel like i should be reined in on this one why i don't know why my Let it go. Full and I'm tired. You can do a subdued one. Uh, maybe I could do it like Snape. How does he talk? <laughs> How does he talk? Just channel like your draw. inner Alan Rickman. Yeah. Miss Petrus, <laughs> give us the ra 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 recap. Oh my gosh. I, I tried I really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I have to look at her because that's how it goes. <laughs> Well, now that I'm terrified. All right. So we did actually just finish up talking about chapter two, Spinner's End, on our chapter episodes. Um, Snape answered more about Trix's questions, and Narcissa asked him to help Draco with his mission from Voldemort. And Bellatrix is shocked when Snape asks her to act as Bonder for their unbreakable vow. Dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Beautiful sound effects. <laughs> so the summary that I totally wrote. Uh, <laughs> we're diving deep into talking about this chapter again but really focusing like on Snape and you know his Snapiness we're ready That's for it we we're ready for it okay Lori let's learn Hi. about you I'm interested okay. because I don't know these things about you yet your Potter profile so your Hogwarts house is up first. Ravenclaw. I figured. <laughs> I figured. I was Anybody like. Anybody who writes an in-depth book on a character <laughs> is definitely a Ravenclaw. I felt that. I felt that in myself. Were you sorted that way or is that a house of choice? Both. And a lot of times people assume I'm Slytherin because they think anyone who likes a Slytherin character could only be a Slytherin. Yeah, mm. uh, and that's I I might have thought that way a little more before I had a kid that I raised as a Slytherin, but you know <laughs> the whole like misunderstood Slytherin thing is is important to me. <laughs> Megan understands. I do. Yeah, I love a Slytherin, but I'm a Hufflepuff. <laughs> it is you know oddly a good combination. Yeah, it yeah. is. We found that out a lot actually. All right. Do you know your Ilvermorning house? I got sorted and then I realized Ilvermorning doesn't mean anything to me because I get the feeling of houses from knowing the characters mm-hmm. and understanding. And Ilvermorning, we don't, we don't live Ilvermorning. True. Yeah. yeah. So you get assigned one and it's just the label. Yeah. yeah. Nothing, yeah. nothing has happened with that. Yeah. And I... We've talked about it a number of times, like the information on that on wizardingworld.com really isn't there anymore. So we're wondering, 
are you scrapping it? Are you revamping it? Are you, you know, are you writing stories about it? Are there going to be novels? Because there was a history and a story with it. Um, got a lot of pushback from that, though. Because Maya were pulling from... My yeah. understanding about the Ilverwini stuff, because there was enormous pushback and it was so overwhelming and legitimate, I think the author probably agreed but because the information is Warner Brothers property, it's not like the author can say, okay, I retract, I take it down. True. So I thought, all right, from a PR perspective, I bet they're just going to quietly let it lapse and hope that nobody remembers. Because <laughs> it, it was a fiasco. It, could, it was impossible to salvage. Yeah. But it's not a solo property like fiction is. So she can't just say, all right, you're right forget it yeah mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's interesting that's a good point um well let's move on to your wand i you know hope wand? to be chosen someday by a cherry wood wand with a unicorn core yeah i yeah I, I i took it so seriously like every time i've looked at wands i i haven't felt chosen so like i can't have one no did you <laughs> did you get it um on wizardingworld.com or Pottermore whenever Pottermore was first. Did you did you get your wand that way? I did and I don't remember what it was, so, you know, cuz I guess I didn't connect with it, so I, you know, looked at every single wand <laughs> Fair. every single wand would. Yeah, the Ollivander writings. Is that weird? Yeah. yeah. Those yeah. are he's difficult to read. Like when you're reading well, about his his writing about the different woods. He is, to my mind, the quintessential Ravenclaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and I thought that it was obvious before she came out and said that he's a Ravenclaw. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, this, like, knowledge being more important than whether it's used for good or evil, total Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have a Patronus? Uh, Pottermore tells me it's a dolphin. I am fine with that. Me too. That's Katie's. Yes. <laughs> awesome. You can join my pod. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I get it. Like a dolphin pod. A group pod. of dolphins is a pod. <laughs> this is a podcast pod. Wow. Katie's always on point with dad jokes. This is her personality. Maybe it's just a dolphin Patronus thing you guys don't understand. <laughs> Maybe I don't. Okay. Now, this last one, as brief... <laughs> <laughs> as possible <laughs> if you want to give us like an overview an introductory sentence on your feelings about severus snape well i do love him okay. <laughs> he is my strength character he mm. has gotten me through any time i absolutely have to do something that I loathe with all of my being and I could choose not to do it but I wouldn't be able to live with myself or it just has to be done mm -hmm. he has brought me strength okay all right I like that all right I have I not like that heard too. that before I've, that I've not heard of that either and I think that that's a really good point and my brain automatically goes to the end of Goblet in um, the hospital wing yeah. when Dumbledore is speaking with him and he's like basically says you know what you have to do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. go on and that was the moment where his life you know his life was changed 
from different choices that he made when Lily died and he took on his role as a double agent. But, you know, he had to go back to that life, back to that yeah. role again. And that's pretty devastating. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty devastating. It takes a lot of strength. Absolutely. I, think, I can't be brief. I have to say one other thing that no, I love go about for him it. the most. Um, he reminds me, he's proof that you don't have to be a good person to keep trying. You, anyone has yeah. the right to keep trying. If you're bad inside, whether you really are or other people think you are or whether you feel like you're bad, you have not disqualified yourself from life. You can still be useful. You can still live up to your own standards, even if nobody else thinks anything of you. Mm-hmm. And that That's a really has good been point. helpful to me. That's a really good point. I think Lori and Jess need to meet. Oh my god! Can you oh imagine? Gosh, our friend Jess is. She loves Snape. She loves Snape and defends him much like I'm sure you will. And I just really want to see your brains. Meet. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. All right. She is the first person who ever told me about this book. Just saying. Jess's? Yep. Jess oh, told wow. me about Snape definitive reading. She's like, Shout I know that you Jess. say that you don't like Snape. You have to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, Lori, what I really enjoyed about your book is that you don't shy away from the quote unquote bad things that people say that he does. You, ver- you you lay them out, like his treatment of, say, Hermione. Like, you don't skate around the fact that, like, he speaks to her in a way that's not appropriate. And that's what I really enjoyed about your writing is, like, you you talk about him you as he it. is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing about... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, but I just to sum that up, I just... I, I enjoy what I have read so far. The thing I noticed about the Snape character when I was reading the series before it was finished mm-hmm. was that every time you thought he couldn't get worse or have a harder life or that his position couldn't get more impossible, it just kept loading on more and more mm-hmm. and more. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, that's the point of this character. Yeah. If you're going to have somebody do something good that's really hard for them, they can't just be like a more or less okay guy. Mm. Yeah. You know, like every time you think, oh, surely now he's going to become the good person that we all want people to be. No, no, he's not. (laughs) Um, Because it's hard for him. And the contrast is Mm -hmm. there are people who were born good and life Mm -hmm. comes super easy to them. And I thought, you know, Lily Evans is portrayed as one of those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I bet she she Mm -hmm. did not have acne. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> probably not good point like, you know, and she didn't do anything to do that it's just like some people it's easy to be good they are mm-hmm. good and some people it is so hard and yeah. so if they want to do something that's not evil it's just uphill all the time and I mm-hmm. thought it is not correct to interpret this character without noting all of the ways in which his natural personality is not great. Yeah. And then he still makes himself do stuff because he's decided that it's right, even though it would be easier for him in every way to just say, forget it. You're mm-hmm. so right. Yeah. I mean, he's working an uphill battle every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Every single day. And I loved it. You know, Sorry. Uh, no, that's okay. And just even you talk about, you know, his natural natural personality, how you're born, who you are. 
And then given his outside circumstances with the way that he grew up and his parentage mm-hmm. and, and all of that and how his school years went, it's like that just, like you said, it loads on even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, his school years, I don't have any patience for um, looking too deeply into how hard of a life he had mm. as excusing him becoming a Death Eater because in life and in this Series, there are people with way worse backgrounds and they did not become Death Eaters. He had no business becoming a Death Eater. What was he thinking? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, so it's, it's it tells you how a person feels, but it doesn't determine your course. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what were you going to say? Or... No, I just really loved at the beginning of this chapter talking about like the parallels. I had never thought about that. And like this is why I like... One reason why we do the podcast is because we're bringing different perspectives from each of us talking about the books and then even getting someone else's perspective of how there's such a parallel with like the whole him with uh, at the beginning when he first told Voldemort about like the prophecy and all of those things to now he didn't he wanted to choose Lily and all those things and now he's choosing to help Draco and that whole correlation like I never thought of that and I was like oh, I'm like where's my pen I'm like I need to mark my book up this is so good like I never thought about like because it's all like the same people it's just it was so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've been texting them I'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh because you just you I love when like Sarah said like different brains getting together and yeah. just figuring things out he's just trying to do he's just trying to do the right thing and it's one of those things where like uh the world doesn't know and he's not really doing it for them because he's like just let them think what they want and i know what at the end of the day i'm just trying to choose the right thing yeah the better thing you know yeah and actually he does wish that the world would know that's what makes him brave yeah because it totally galls him in a natural human way and also in an immature way, he wishes that he could get credit for everything. Um, and the fact that he yeah. accepts this job. The only person that knowing, can give him that credit is Harry. Well, or Dumbledore. You know, Dumbledore, but he's, he's got to kill Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's dead, so. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, that's the thing that's brave because humans are not built to be seen as bad when we know that's wrong and that we're good inside Mm -hmm. i mean the human response to that is you know if somebody thinks bad of you and they're wrong how your voice comes out in this wimpy little crying whine Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's his his that's sort of his every day and he has to take it yeah yep well said all right so there we said it but we're not playing bingo today, so no one can get away. I'm starting on page 165 of Snape, A Definitive Reading with Laurie Kim. I'm heading down to the Spinner's End uh, portion. So I like how you discuss Spinner's End and how you broke that down because I feel like I made a similar comparison to you, but you went so much more. And I'm so glad you did because I learned a few things along the way. So Spinner's End is a former mill town. And then I was like, well, you know, what if some of our listeners don't know what 
mills are. So they're these large looking um, wheels and they use kinetic energy moving like moving bodies of water in order to drive machinery and generate electricity. So what what the internet is telling me it's literally called sciencing.com. <laughs> sciencing. I love that. It reminds me of Marty. So um mills could be used to like grind grains into flour for example. They were used in ancient Greece and I actually know of one that is still working today by my hometown. And they use um they use it to make ice cream. Which Can I they also cool. be like in water? to get energy right they they use water yeah they're always in water yeah okay so spinners End, former mill town and according to you Lori, you said spinner refers to the now defunct muggle industry in a working class part of town and end reinforces the decline with evidence shown in the streets how in the houses with broken windows and such and i really enjoyed that because it just it drives that wedge further between someone like Bellatrix entering mm-hmm. the streets and Snape, who she already, you know, loves, loves to hate. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just I loved that. Well, um, I think it was meant to be a cotton town, I think, cotton mill, mm-hmm. which is an industry that died out in English towns in the early 20th century. So mm-hmm. for U.S. listeners, the comparison would be like Flint, Michigan, you know, oh, that used okay. to be like a thriving mm-hmm. uh, auto industry town and then just became more and more poor Great and comparison. full of people who used to have a living and then didn't. And then what happens to people when that when that whole industry goes away? Mm-hmm. So it's supposed to be, you know, like desolation and yeah, yeah, and the whole time that, like, we've seen for five books until now, we've seen Snape with the Death Eaters who are incredibly snobbish, and they mm-hmm. put down poor people and non-purebloods, and he never says anything, but, you know, we see now, we this gives us an idea of what he's been thinking while they've just mm-hmm. been yammering on in front of him. You're right. You're absolutely right. And... Um, Like I said earlier, I think that this is a great way for the author to bring attention to and draw the divide between the status of Snape and the status of, say, you know, the Malfoy and Lestrange family and black family as well, because the black family, obviously, they had some cash, too. And Bellatrix even draws attention to this in the chapter, and she... She views herself in such a way, don't you think? (laughs) A little bit. Um, even I though girls said a bad word, <laughs> I said a little bit a b word. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did not. No, but she is. You know, play back the tape. She has. She, she, girlfriend has a lot to say for being in jail the past. You know what? Fourteen years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was just here? being so loyal to her man. So loyal. Sitting in jail. So loyal. And so, um, Kim, you go on to say um, Spinner also evokes the fates. Never drew that comparison in my own head. Who spin, measure, and cut the threads of human lifespans. Like in Hercules. It made me think of Dumbledore. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. I go to Hercules. You go to Dumbledore. No, no. (laughs) 
I went. I went to Hercules because don't they share? Do they share an eye? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. And but no, it just made me think of like, you know, the the measure of his life. Snape literally said maybe a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows? And so the fates, and I don't know how to say this. Does anybody know how to say that? Mm, Morai. 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 Um, are the group. <laughs> Morai. They only had one eye. They shared it. Oh, Catherine. Are the group of three weaving goddesses who assign individual destinies to mortals at birth. Their names are Clotho, the spinner, Lachius. Lachesses. I don't know. The Alliter. My last try was right. (laughs) (laughs) And Atropos, the inflexible. In the older myths, they they were daughters of, is that Nyx? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But later, they were more often portrayed as the offspring of Zeus and Themis? Themis? Themis. Themis. Uh Uh-huh. Anyways, I'm not going to read the rest of that. But I just thought that that was pretty cool. And I got that from Greek mythology. I literally just keep picturing the scene where like Meg is dying and they're like getting ready to cut the thread mm-hmm. of life in Hercules. And it's like going in slow motion. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I love that well, we can. She, she was dead, Megan. Well, he true. was dying. This That's is true. true. It was he about was Hercules, dying. wasn't it? Yeah. I love that we can draw like all the, the, everything you've listed so far makes sense. But it's like multiple mm-hmm. different things that you could draw from it. So like maybe it's all of them. Maybe it's just whatever fits for you. Mm. It's just really cool. Yeah. Yep. I love it. And this next thing also didn't know. Um, you also said that Spinner could also evoke the phrase the distaff side, which means having to do with a uh, feminine side of life. Had no clue what you were talking about. So I was like, let me look up that term because I don't know. So, according to freedictionary.com... I love the websites we find. (laughs) (laughs) The female side or branch of a family compared to spear side, which would be masculine. And also um, a stick used for holding yarn when spinning. Oh. Yes. And I just thought that that was super, super interesting. And... Oh, so you said that this would be a good place to find stories about mothers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Lily. Narcissa. Like, I love that. And his, an, his own mother. And his, yeah, and his own mom. Yeah. Like, how did you, like, how did you come up with that? So I, I am a fiber artist. Um, oh, okay. Knit uh, and crochet and I quilt. Mm-hmm. So... The other thing is that I'm about the same age as the author, so we probably read all the same books on folklore and mythology, uh-huh. um, because I definitely can see a difference in how I understand the author's sources compared to people who are a generation older or younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know all these references make sense because they're all say- drawing from the same Greek mythology, but especially the fates spinning and measuring and cutting the thread, there was a trio nature to that that's similar to Deathly Hallows. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, there's something about Snape that's very feminine witchy. Like, there's patriarchal knowledge, and then there's Snape who, you know, he looks like a witch, 
you know, he's got the hooked nose. He's not yeah, very manly. Like, you know, Sirius and James laugh at him all the time. He's just not very manly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he does potions like a witch. And uh, he is, this is a strange thing to think, but he's not patriarchal at all. He's actually quite matriarchal, you know, and the, the title of the book, as we see, is him identifying with his maternal line. Mm-hmm. And the book yeah. completely emphasizes that if we only cared about mothers and matrilineage the same way we care about paternal line, then all of these mysteries would not have been mysteries if we knew Tom Riddle's mother's family's names, if we knew Snape's mother's name. Um, then, You're you know, blowing oh, my mind. I love this so much. <laughs> You know, and you know that's what Hermione keeps saying. You know, it could be a girl. It could be a girl. It could and be even a girl. Yeah. She's not accurate about Snape being a girl. She's right that you have to go looking at the mother's line, mm-hmm. um, and you have to do research because it's written out of the records unless you know where to look. Um, so mm-hmm. you know that's where we we go looking for Merope. Um and mm-hmm. the way that you know, like Snape calling himself the half-blood prince is it's not a it's not a mystery yes yes so yeah the um by this time in the series we have noticed that people talk about james's friends but we never hear anyone talk about lily's friends Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know and she puts in those easter eggs like you know but snape hated my mother and father and you know nobody corrects him Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then we find out that, like, the key to Voldemort is his mother and the key to Snape is his mother. So it's all set up to say the key to Harry is going to be his mother. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. That's so good. That is so good. <laughs> it's so good. I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to read this last little part because this is the part that I enjoyed the most from this section. Um. Laura, you write, Snape has been characterized characterized as a spy and a spider throughout. At Spinner's End, Narcissa and Bellatrix are seeking him at the center of his web. Finally, Spinner suggests a male version of Spinster. Snape's single state as he approaches middle age. Why didn't I think of that? Like, <laughs> that's, that is perfect. That is absolutely perfect. And that's the part that I was like, Absolutely. Absolutely. And so Spinner's End is not hidden like other places in the Wizarding World, like Hogwarts, per se, and and Grimald Place. There's nothing magical that keeps muggles away. And according to you, Lori, as far as we can see, there's no siblings or parents. So as far as, like, the reader is concerned, Snape is the sole owner of this home and um, probably likely inherited. It's, I, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that it's not. Yeah. Because it, it's really funny how you can tell, oh, he, he didn't even, you know, swap out the furniture. I'm sure it's falling apart. He doesn't care. I wonder yeah, how often he went thing. there before um, Voldemort's return. Or is this, yeah. is this used, like Grimald Place was used, you know, for the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix? Like, is this now... Uh, secondary headquarters, if you will. 
there's no evidence either way. Mm -mm. No, I, I it like seems like not. he. I feel like he wouldn't want to go back, but. Well, the well, actually, the evidence. If you're going to say that he probably did go back, the evidence is the books. Yeah. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. Good I point. would say that he probably only goes during summer. He probably like volunteers to stay for Christmas, stays for their little like spring Easter holiday that they get, and just goes back for summer. And their summer breaks are really short. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's probably just not used except for like two months a year it makes know? it makes me think of harry and voldemort and that hogwarts yeah. was yeah. their home for sure oh boy it is green it is neat go green go um so like we were just saying like you can you can see whenever we're talking about the descriptions of the room and the house that it is definitely neglected um, but we don't really know if the feeling of neglect or emptiness in the house is because Snape doesn't usually live there or because he's just come from Hogwarts for the summer. So, like, what we mean by that, like, has he literally not been there for years and this just happens that he's come back now because Voldemort's back? Or is this just how the house is, like we were saying, and he doesn't change anything out and he's just there two months a year, so it's whatever. And I kind of feel like it's the latter. I feel like he has come back year after year, but just for the summer months. Um, that's yeah. my opinion. Why would you really yeah, change anything? I, I tend to know? agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's two months. Like, what does he really care what the furniture looks like? Grimmauld Place was never is until Molly got there. Hogwarts, you know? Because well, no one was there um, <laughs> except Creature. <laughs> What I like about, we, we, we see so much about Snape in this chapter, just from the description of his house. I get the strong feeling that he doesn't care any, about anything as long as he has his books. And, yeah. you know, I looked to see, Snape does not spend money. He does not like material things. He doesn't, you know, fantasize about like a firebolt or the Elder Wand. There's no thing he wants. He doesn't care. He spends his money on books. That's all he cares about. Mm -hmm. And so why should he care if the furniture is falling apart as long as he can read? Mm -hmm. um, and then I thought, oh, the um, elf-made wine is dusty. So, yeah, I think you're right. He does come back in the summers. I think he had that a while ago, and he's kept it there and, yeah. you know, never touched it. Mm -hmm. um, the, dis the description of how neglected it is, I think it's supposed to um, set up a parallel to the beginning of Goblet of Fire when... Uh, Voldemort comes to the neglected Riddle House. Riddle house. Okay, yeah. Because that's all full of dust. And then you see a contrast because Voldemort owns that house, but he never grew up there. He decided he deserved it more than the people who lived there, so he killed them and took it over. Mm. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, Snape really grew up here, and Voldemort hides where he's from. Like, he hid a horcrux in the gaunt hovel. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Snape does not hide anything. This is where he's from. You can find out he's not. You can, if you want Snape, you can just go knock on his door and he'll be right there. Yeah. And that's a contrast that I think it's sort of like, well, you know, if you need Snape, you have to get dirty to get there. You know, it, and it tells you how much of an advantage he has because he's coming from so much. Um, 
like he understands he understands the uh, rich Death Eaters that he's with, and he understands a lot of other kinds of people too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that it also um, makes him be a more believable spy because he really doesn't hide much of who he is. And no, he's pretty open book aside from. Right. And like we know that double agent, you know Voldemort <laughs> is surrounded by a lot of people who are very wealthy. Mm-hmm. So you would think that that might be something that Snape wants to hide from him, but he doesn't. No. Yeah. So I think that that is just another thing that that shows, like he really is putting his whole self into this double agent. I mean, otherwise he would be dead in like a day, mm-hmm. right? Like he's clearly super talented and knows what he's doing. And is willing to be an open book to make sure that things happen how they're supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, so we kind of talked about this a couple minutes ago, but, you know, we talk about how, like, were was the furniture just family property? Like, or the books, were they family property? Did he acquire them as an adult? I suppose it's a mixture of both. I'm sure that this is a very long growing collection and a lot of them are from when he was younger and maybe even some of his mom's books. Yeah. Um, And also like new ones that he has acquired, but the age slash state of the furniture tells us that this sitting room is basically the exact same as it has been since Snape's childhood. Uh, He doesn't seem to be the type to do interior decorating in my opinion, (laughs) unless it's adding more books to the collection. (laughs) And maybe some more bottles of weird potion ingredients. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I, I, yeah, I already said this. I think that he comes home in the summers and that's partially why it feels neglected. Um, This is when Narcissa and Bellatrix ask if they're alone. And then we learn at this point that Wormtail is there. Wormtail? Wormtail. I don't know. (laughs) Toil! (laughs) And there is a wall of books with a hidden door and passageway. Just want to say that was a dream of mine. (laughs) That's like the ultimate. Right. Right. Like. Oh, yeah, I want a hidden passageway that's hidden by a whole bookshelf. Like, how cool would that be? Do you think that's always been there? Or is that a Snape creation? Is that his interior design? Mm. I don't know. I imagined when I first read that, I got chills. Because what we know about him, you know, in book five, when we saw his memories of crying and adults are shouting, mm-hmm. is that he was in a house of conflict Mm -hmm. and we know that you know the one thing we know about Snape is that he always loved reading and learning and the whole phenomenon of being a child escaping domestic turbulence Mm -hmm. by escaping into your memories and your your mind with with books uh, I thought that was one of the author's really poetic architectural ways to capture that feeling that um I just think a lot of people who read this series know that feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I kind of envisioned that always being there as like his place. It to makes go. me wonder if he went there while his parents yeah. were fighting, and For that sure. was the place that he escaped with his books. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Um, but m- most importantly, what on earth is Wormtail doing here? We need to really talk about this. Like, we <laughs> talked about it a little, but I think that we, like, just scratched the surface. And I think that I agree with one of your points, but I'm going to let you start, Lori. Why is he yeah, there? Yeah, I, 
<laughs> I wondered for a, I wondered for a long time what is he doing here. First mm-hmm. of all, helping Snape with what? Correct. Right. <laughs> you know, if you were Snape, would you let Wormtail help with anything? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and so, but we do see Wormtail making his completely pathetic little attempts at spying, which are laughable. Right. And the mm-hmm. thing about Wormtail is the characters all laugh at him, but the author laughs at him. Mm-hmm. Like the author hates this character. Yeah. So, you know, so of course he's making attempts, his attempts to spy are completely doomed. And so you think that's, Voldemort has told him to do that. He's said, you know, why do I have to go to Spinner's End? Why are you banishing me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Voldemort would insult him and say, well, now I have real Death Eaters. I don't need you. You're annoying. Uh, but, <laughs> Thanks you know, for bringing my body back to life yeah. in a certain way. And goodbye. Yeah, I will <laughs> now bite the hand that fed me. Yeah. Um, and But, you know, if you want an assignment, sure, you can uh, spy on Snape and see what he's up to. And someone like Voldemort always does that. He always sets his followers up against each other. That's how he stays ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's doing that, but I thought, okay, why else is Wormtail there? And it took me a long time to figure this out. Oh, and later on in this book, Harry mentions this too, that, um, it was Snape and Wormtail who sold out his parents. Mm -hmm. So it's setting up a contrast that, um, these two people did that. One of them regrets it Mm. and wishes he could go back in time and make a different choice. And now he has the opportunity to save somebody's kid Mm -hmm. and put make a different choice. And maybe he can change something. Um, And for to that end, he's putting himself through unbelievable rigors. And the other one never regretted anything does not you know is not worth the time of any of these people even like disgusting people like bellatrix you know it's like no you know mm-hmm. you're disgusting go away yeah um and so because one thing that especially before the series was finished one of the theories about snape was oh he's not loyal to voldemort or to dumbledore he's only out in it for himself you know all he does is try to do whatever's to his own advantage which always puzzled me because i don't know the things he makes, the things he does are so onerous. Why would anybody do them if they weren't trying to believe in something? And yeah. Wormtail, as the contrast, is like, no. If you want to see somebody who really is motivated by that reason alone, that's what that looks like, not like Snape. Because mm-hmm. Wormtail doesn't believe in anything, as far as I can tell, except just like keeping himself alive in some mm-hmm. miserable way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think at first he was going for some portion of power with who he hung hung out with and yeah. and going and you know helping Voldemort on his way back and and then at this point he's just trying to hang on. Yeah, and there's no um there's no common thread to any of the people that he throws in his lot with except that he wants to be where he might stay alive the longest. Mhm. And, you know, even Voldemort, like, you know, says, oh, you don't even believe in me. (laughs) Yeah. You're just here because you think I'll protect you. Like, literally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The way he dies is so just justice. (laughs) 
I know. That's intense. Yeah. It is intense. That's, that, you know, it felt like a life debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Where are we here, kids? I think we kind of like. I think we kind of touched on everything that was. There. <laughs> so I just wanted. I just want to say again that like, this whole can. Okay, so for a long time. My thoughts on Wormtail being there, like, I never for one second thought that Voldemort told Wormtail to spy on Snape. But thinking about it now, I really like what Laurie added in um, to the notes here that said that it's the author's trick to direct the reader into looking out for a deeper and more complicated story where Snape is concerned. And that they try to like people like Voldemort like to pin their people against each other. So even though Voldemort may not have truly cared about what Wormtail may or may not report back to him, it was the whole idea of spying Mm -hmm. and it would, it would make them go against each other to like cause tension and division. Um, and, and trick us into questioning Snape more. Yeah. And I like that. Voldemort like drama? Voldemort is a drama (laughs) I honestly, like, Voldemort had to be completely sick of him. So he's like, for sure. Please get him off my hands. For sure. Get out. Oh, I'm going to do you a favor, Snape. Here is Wormtail for some help. I don't know with what, but there you go. I'd be like, mm, thanks, no thanks, Thank Bob. you, my lord. Oh, gosh. Yeah, Wormtail sucks. Is it me now? Yeah. Whew. Okay. So now we're moving on to, honestly, basically Snape versus Bellatrix. So um, we've talked a little bit about this. Every suspicion... That Bellatrix has about Snape. She doesn't trust him. She says that straight up. No, I don't trust you, and you know that. Um, but she's right. She's right about everything she thinks about him. Um, but if Snape didn't have an answer to every single question that she's going to ask, he'd be dead. Because obviously Voldemort has asked all of those questions. Um, so no matter what she comes up with to challenge him, Snape and Dumbledore have already crafted all the perfect answers. Again, otherwise Snape would not be in this chapter. Um, (laughs) And Snape is smart. Or alive. Yeah. (laughs) Snape is smart. I might not like the guy, but he's very smart. Um, He doesn't just answer the questions. He turns them on her. And he points out... So well. Yes. Mm -hmm. He points out her weaknesses and uses it to further along his cover and his, his spy cover. Um, she still isn't convinced after it all, but she does get a pretty thorough verbal beatdown. Um, so let's break down Bellatrix's weaknesses that Lori has laid out for us so nicely. Um, so number one, Bellatrix cannot admit that Voldemort has flaws. So she's asking all <laughs> these questions to Snape and Snape fires back. Again, Voldemort's already asked me this. So it's either enough for you. Or you're saying that I fooled, quote, the Dark Lord, the greatest wizard, the most accomplished legilimens the world has ever seen. Oh, but you did. (laughs) (laughs) Is he the most accomplished legilimens the world has ever seen? Or would that be Snape? That would be Snape. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, two, she cannot criticize Lucius in front of Narcissa. We're going to talk about more of this in the next episode, I think. But just real quick, Bellatrix doesn't... She can't risk more tension with how Narcissa already is right now. She's very fragile at the moment. Um, which I think would only come from Bellatrix with this like sisterly bond. Because she didn't give a crap about anybody except herself. Yeah. yeah. Um, three, Snape has more to offer Voldemort than Bellatrix. I put, oh snap, because <laughs> it's true and she probably hates every second of it. Um, Snape has like real practical info about Harry and Dumbledore. And he does point out to her that what he has to offer is, quote, a rather more useful welcome back present than an endless reminiscent than endless reminiscences of how important Azkaban is. So he's like, yeah, you were sitting in jail. Big whoop. Look what I can do. <laughs> Look what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> um, for Bellatrix wanted something from Voldemort. Yeah. Uh, but Snape doesn't. So Bellatrix does what she does basically to like prove herself to Voldemort. Oh, I'm so devoted to you. And I really like what Laurie points out. It feeds Voldemort's ego, but it doesn't further his campaign. So yeah, it's great to have someone, your little crony, like talking you up, but like she doesn't offer anything to like further his plan. Um, unlike the actual Death Eaters, Snape doesn't want anything from him. Uh, Laurie says not favor, not protection, not support for a racist agenda. This gives him greater freedom to focus on exactly what Voldemort wants. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to get into this because, you know. I think we're lucky that Discord isn't on right now. Oh. Or they'd explode. <laughs> 100%. So she titled number five as, What kind of Slytherin, Slytherin are you anyway? What are you a Hufflepuff? So Bellatrix criticizes that Snape stayed at Hogwarts instead of going to Azkaban in the name of loyalty to Voldemort. So Snape's like, yeah, I stayed because it was convenient to have a comfortable job and I stayed out of jail. So I used it to my advantage. So here's our big debate that I'm going to throw in here. I'm so <laughs> <laughs> I know this is a Snape-focused podcast. However, we all think that Bellatrix should have been placed in Hufflepuff as opposed to Slytherin. We're not saying she's not a Slytherin. Yes. But. I kind of feel like she could have been a hat stall. Yes. And she went to Slytherin by choice. Because she would never be seen in Hufflepuff. No, they had to convince me because, like, I don't want her in my house. Ew. But it makes sense to me. <laughs> so I was just wondering what you thought yeah. about that. Just quick, like, just hearing that first thing. What do you think? Yeah, when you wrote that, what are what are you a Hufflepuff? Like, were you referring to Bellatrix? Yeah, I was referring to Snape laughing at Bellatrix. Okay. Thinking that, I mean, all the other stuff she's saying, yeah, sure, a good Voldemort follower should be doing the stuff that she recommends. But this whole, like, you weren't faithful to him, you weren't loyal to him. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's such a weak argument in a Slytherin emotional economy. Mm -hmm. It's so funny to Snape. He's like, I don't even have to refute that. Do you, can you hear yourself? Yeah. Like, all he does is repeat it back, which I think is hilariously insulting. Like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't even have to do anything for this one, Bellatrix. You just owned yourself. Because um, <laughs> I was so curious, like, what great debate, you know? And so is it the Bellatrix is the Hufflepuff debate? Um, 
yeah, I can. I mean, this is a major part of her personality. And so I would have been perfectly fine putting her in Hufflepuff. I think her, um, her snobbishness due to class and status mm-hmm. and inherited wealth um, and also the way, yeah, most, yeah, she's very status conscious, mm-hmm. uh, which is a more Slytherin trait. Um, and also one thing she doesn't have that is a general Hufflepuff trait is the belief that we're all the same inside humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, of course there are Hufflepuffs who don't live up to that. Right. And right. There, there are people from other houses who do believe that, but she's so much into hierarchy mm-hmm. and into dehumanizing others and justifying oppression after dehumanizing them. And I could see that that is because we don't, I mean, we see her loyal to Bellatri- uh, to uh, Narcissa and mm-hmm. to Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, we see her be hierarchical and oppressive to everybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, if she had been put in Hufflepuff, I would not have blinked. <laughs> right. And a lo- uh, one thing that we talked about, and I think that I brought it up, is we talked people were throwing out um, justice as Mm -hmm. far as Hufflepuffs go. Well, justice to one person isn't the same as justice to another. Just to her would have been, um, you know, muggles under rule, you know, pure bloods on top. And that would be a just life for her. And we can think about um, uh, goblins that with that as well mm-hmm. you know it would yeah. be just for them to have the, the the materials that they made back we talk about the sort of Gryffindor um you know the tiara that passed under Griphook's nose and all of this stuff so it it's like what's just to one person isn't necessarily what's just to another and I think that sh- what she thought justice would be in the wizarding world is the world that Voldemort would build and so that's why we we argue really hard that, yes, she is a Slytherin because I think that she valued the status and, you know, the the pure bloodness more and was in the in Slytherin house for different like reasons. Familial, right. Like, yeah. Like yeah. her family would not have been OK had she been anything but Slytherin. But I think that mm-hmm. Hufflepuff w- would be a very close second. Yeah. 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 I mean, the fact that she's really into killing members of her own family who aren't pure of ideology mm-hmm. argues more Slytherin than Hufflepuff. Absolutely. Which is why I think that she's in that house. Yeah. 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 So I think maybe we confused some of our listeners, but I think they thought that we thought that she sh- was Hufflepuff but rather than she her second could house. Could have been. She's a strong secondary Hufflepuff. I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right. Next point. Thanks for hashing that out with us. Yeah. So Lori's on our side, so we win. <laughs> 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 um, so the next one is Bellatrix is competitive with all of the Death Eaters. Now, according right in here, I think I misinterpreted it wrong. So, Lori, if you want to take it away, please do. 
Um, this is the part when she's asking, like, why didn't you help Voldemort get the Sorcerer's Stone? Why were you late to Voldemort's rebirth party? Like, questioning... Rebirth party? Questioning yeah. uh, his loyalty, basically. I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think that's, like, a, a legitimate term. Yeah, I did I probably so saw funny. some. I love that! <laughs> were there snacks? <laughs> were there party hats? Uh, you, know, you know what's funny but also unbelievably painful and sad is that I actually think that is exactly what it is and that's because of the background, the childhood that Voldemort came from. I, did, I think Death Eaters and these gatherings really were his attempt to have birthday parties. Oh. And like, I, I'm not even kidding. Oh. Um, and I noticed that so this is totally jumping ahead to Deathly Hallows. Go for it. The end of Deathly Hallows. Um, after um, like um, after the walk through the forest when mm-hmm. Harry is approaching and like his hour is almost up mm-hmm. so Voldemort's sitting there with all his Death Eaters mm-hmm. saying, where's Harry Potter? I thought he would <laughs> come. He would come. I thought Harry Potter was going to be here. He literally and says that. <laughs> I swear every time I read that I imagine like party hats are on crooked and like the balloons have lost the helium and they're starting to like sink. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, you know, because that's, he doesn't have friends. No. You know, the only way he can have friends is by forcing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think Rebirth Party is exactly what that was. Oh my god. I love um, it. Oh god, but now I totally don't remember what we're talking about. Um, um, oh yes. Competitive. Uh, when she says, why didn't you kill mm. Harry during his first year? And, you know, why didn't you join with the death, with the, the Dark Lord when he was in Quirrell's head? Literally. And Snape says, oh, because Quirrell was mediocre. And I think he does that on purpose because Bellatrix loves hearing that other people are beneath her. And um, again, uh, jumping ahead to Deathly Hallows, we see that you know, at the beginning of Deathly Hallows when they have the Death Eater meeting and they, and Voldemort is putting all of them down and every time he picks on one, all the others, like, laugh and point. Even though it's going to be their turn next. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's the mood he encourages and Bellatrix really has that. So um, I think that's one of the tools that Snape uses against her. Mm-hmm. Got it. That makes way more sense than how I thought it was. So thank you. <laughs> um, so next point, Bellatrix is losing favor with Voldemort while Snape is gaining. Uh, that's got a sting for her big time. She challenges just how useful Snape has been. And Snape says, well, maybe you don't know because you and Voldemort aren't quite so close anymore. He doesn't really confide in you as much. She don't like that. Oh, that was mean of him. <laughs> yeah. But Hit her where it hurts, you know? <laughs> he phrases true. it in such a way, too, like like he's putting it in your head, but also like making her think it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. so, it's manipulative in like the best, most sinister way. Sinister. <laughs> well, the thing is, he's been saving that one up. Mm. And this is... Um, Remember in the Occlumency lessons when he's really frantic at Harry and saying, you're wearing your heart on your sleeve, mm. you're handing Voldemort weapons. Mm-hmm. 
um, you're giving him access to things that you fear. Yeah. And Bellatrix totally wears her heart on her sleeve for Voldemort. Mm-hmm. And you act, you know that she's been staying up nights because she feels, you know, people who hang on somebody like that, they can, every little possible loss of favor, you feel it. Yeah. So she's been losing sleep over this. And mm-hmm. he knows, and he's he's been waiting. <laughs> and so he, you know, he does that surgical little dig at the thing that's already been haunting her and eating away at her. Um, and yeah, she, like, we didn't know until this chapter that she has um, a bond for Narcissa. Like, that's new information. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we all knew she had it for Voldemort. Right. Oh, yeah. And, you know, she doesn't even bother to hide it. And that's... And Snape is totally using that against her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. a good weapon. <laughs> it, it's, it really, like, I feel hurt for her. Because you know, yeah. it's so true. And it's so embarrassing. She's so obsessively, like, in love with every aspect of Voldemort. Like, yeah. any little thing that, that happens crushes her. Yeah. Yeah, and she's constantly like, I'm his most like loyal faithful like he i'm his number one soldier basically and then she hears this and it's like "Mm, are you he's gonna be my baby daddy (laughs) well even (laughs) even at the at the beginning of um deathly hollows the way that uh voldemort speaking to her about you know um remus and family he he lifts her up Mm-hmm. He crushes her. He's so. Mean. And then he gives her a little bit right after. But but you know we all have to prune the you know the dead yeah. branches from our family trees or whatever he says. He yeah. is horrible. I mean we know he's horrible, but like that, that's like and right in front of everybody, just lift you up, crush you, give you a little bit. Like she's crying mm-hmm. in front of but, everybody. But it's also deeply. I, I don't mean that as an insult, but it's deeply unoriginal in that every abuser does this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's fail proof, which is, you know, one of the flaws of human nature that it's so easy to hurt people because if you get them <sighs> into no. this, um, you know, they all fall for it. If, you know, Voldemort, so, Voldemort has never proven, has never made good on any promises to uplift and honor any of his successful followers, but he lies and pretends that that's on the table. Yeah. Yeah. They all fall for it every time. Yeah. And especially when the abuser knows exactly what makes you tick. Yep. So he uses the, the, the bloodline essentially that your you know, your bloodline is, is disgusting. Yeah. And he uses that against her and it's like, okay, honey, you're half blood. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <sighs> All right. Huh. Jinx, you make hook. Uh, the next point, Bellatrix failed to get the prophecy for Voldemort, which we know was a huge blow for her. Um, so all Snape has to do is just remind her of that. Um, and Laurie says, while parrying Bellatrix's accusations, Snape spreads Dumbledore's misinformation and protects himself as well. Very smart, very calculated. Um, so far... Fail proof. <laughs> They've done a good job. <laughs> um, so the last part is we'll talk about Snape's self-protections. So Snape does want to avoid committing evil. So by staying on Dumbledore's side, he keeps his cover 
and is still able to be a spy. And he says this, he says, by allowing Dumbledore to think that I was only returning to the Dark Lord's side because I was ordered to, I've been able to pass information on Dumbledore and the Order of the Phoenix ever since. Um, and he does take credit for the Order's losses. So Bellatrix doesn't think she's privy anymore to Voldemort's secrets, so she doesn't fact-check fact things that Snape says, like when he says, well, my information led to the murder of Emmeline Vance and Sirius Black. She, he's already forced her to like kind of lose a little bit of faith in herself and like make her question how close she is to Voldemort mm-hmm. when she wants it so bad. Mm-hmm. He's manipulative. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think he's having fun. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to be manipulative if you're going to be in the role that he's in. For Correct. Sure. <laughs> you but, like. She shows up at his house and she's this powerful, powerful witch and she's looking at him like, I know what you're up to. I don't trust you. And you can see him like rubbing his hands. Yeah. Like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> he's described. He's been waiting, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. He's described as like a muse this whole time with her. Yeah. yeah. It's like a game. Yeah. Definitely. He's probably been waiting he probably to, has to a little dish this out. His, his, his you know, cloak <laughs> pocket and he is like, Save this to Billy. <laughs> Goodness. Is it my turn? It, it is. Indeed. So we're now going to talk about the lies that Snape is going to be using to his advantage. So like the first one is Dumbledore doesn't trust Snape with defense against the dark arts. So from um, Half-Blood Prince, it seemed to think it might uh, be, wow, I cannot read myself. Being about a relapse, I don't know if that's right. Tempting, bring about, bring about. Yeah, bringing about. There you go. Like, that's why that looks weird. Bringing about uh, a relapse, <laughs> tempting me into my old ways. So, like both Snape and Dumbledore use this as an excuse to cover, um, uh, like having not not having Snape as a teacher because they all know. Well, I'm assuming Snape knows that that position is cursed. Dumbledore knows because he admits it. He says it later on. Mm -hmm. So they're going to use it as an excuse. So that Snape is not going to be in that position. So then he would only be in it for a year because he needs to be around longer at Hogwarts for that. And it's just easy for others to like realize or like think with Snape's history, be like, Oh, okay. Like that makes sense that, um, he wouldn't want him in that position being the dark art defense against the dark arts teacher, even though like that's what he's vying for. But Snape is also really good at potions. Um, and like, that's a hell I die on. Cause like, he's a significantly, like he might not be the nicest person, <laughs> but he's at least teaching these students and he's better at it than like having Slughorn, having those students read out of a book. Mm-hmm. Laurie. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to, this is very topical, but I'm going to derail it a little. Okay. And it's a pretty emotional current subject okay i didn't realize so much until this year what the curse on the defense against the dark arts position is and why snape and dumbledore go to these great lengths to make sure that snape can covertly teach real defense against the dark arts to the students around the edges of the official teachers that are doomed did you read the dumbledore book by irvin oh yeah Oh, my gosh. Right? And <laughs> so good. The, the thing that made me realize what this curse really means and how it operates is the contemporary political struggle around critical race theory. Mm. Critical race theory is 
under fire and there are people trying to ban it, not because it's false, not because people shouldn't learn it, but because it empowers some people against the ones who are trying to oppress them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Voldemort is forbidding students to have continuity in DADA because he wants to keep them primed to become prey for what he wants to turn them into. And like anyone who, you know, anyone who's ever been to school or been a teacher knows, if you don't have continuity, the individual teacher can be as good as they want, but it's not the same thing as having an overview and a plan and communication between the different teachers. If you get like a different substitute every month, mm-hmm. you are not going to have a continuous solid understanding of that subject. And mm-hmm. that's what people are trying to do by banning critical race theory. Mm-hmm. So if you want to learn these things, then you can um, find librarians, bookstores, mm-hmm. activist groups, historians, storytellers, your relatives. Mm-hmm. You can find concerted efforts to compensate yes. mm-hmm. for the um, for the education, the official education that's designed to dis- disempower you yes. and to quiet down your natural curiosity and to make it somehow sinful to be curious, mm-hmm. which is exactly the um, textbook that Umbridge gives mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's, you know, not only is it completely useless, but <laughs> it criminalizes your natural self-protective instincts. Mm-hmm. And you have to go underground in order to get proper defense education to save your own life. And yeah. that and so we see throughout the series Snape stepping in when the official DADA professor is somehow unable to teach and providing the education that he and Dumbledore want the kids to be getting, like the the real essentials, like Expelliarmus. Um, And um, yeah, not only is he fully aware that it's cursed, but he knows why, he knows why Voldemort wants that, why this serves Voldemort's Mm -hmm. end. Yeah. And he also knows that this is part of Snape being an unseen person. Um, if you're an educator and you want the kids to get the information that's the truth, especially about themselves, but you don't want to get called into the principal's office or fired, mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. to find covert ways to yeah. get the yeah. information out. And you cannot yeah. be caught. Yeah. So that's, and uh, yeah, watching the news these days about critical race theory, I just keep thinking <sighs> they've cursed the position. You know, the only yeah. people, the, all they want to teach is Umbridge's textbook. Yes. Um, yeah. And it, and it's not that they, it's not that what they're banning is even all that revolutionary. <laughs> no, yeah. it, it's, it's known facts and it's, it's, <laughs> It's just truth. It's just human it's, it's, yes. it's literally the history of our country. And people in the age bracket that are sitting at this table and Sarah, you know, our 
history lesson history lessons were completely whitewashed throughout oh, totally. our learning experience mm-hmm. and up until i left and went to college did i learn about certain things that happened in yeah. our country and my face hurts from smiling because everything that you said was so spot on and especially withdrawing to to today and critical race theory and you know it's literally just the truth of what's happening but i absolutely yeah. love the point that you made is that it is it is taking um a defense and an offense away from future generations by damaging the, their defense against the dark arts education yeah. and they do have to go elsewhere to um to learn these things i mean harry teaching them is like the biggest one but um the dueling club is Mm -hmm. is one and all of that and so they are under the radar trying to set you know the the students up for success without essentially like getting rid of someone who is valuable in that position in the process and i just feel really bad for remus because that was always a timed gig for him i know well, yeah. I mean, I I kind of like that he must have gone into that knowing because it's like, you know, they it's not that he was brought on and left to be killed off by the curse. Right. I think he, yeah. He, he knew he was being called in for a one year. And he resigned before Snape said that oh, he, he was resigned. a werewolf. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. OK. Well, no, he um, was it after he was, or before he was after. permitted. He was Dumbledore permitted him to resign. OK. He was about to be fired, quite justifiably, but Dumbledore let him resign. Yeah. I'm not a Remus fan. Oh! <gasps> Lori. <laughs> Holy cow! Lori! <laughs> Look at Megan's face! I thought we were getting along so well. <laughs> My soul. Me off so well. <laughs> I mean, uh, he has flaws. Definitely. Oh, well. The only. What do you. Go ahead. I love him in Deathly Hallows. I love his freak out. I love the passion that he lets himself feel, how extreme he lets things get so that he almost abandons his wife and child, and then how he overcomes that. So he's, he rewrites his own story. He was not meant to live and die with that kind of happiness, and he rewrote it, and he, he had it before he died. And I, um, I love him for that. But Remus in the previous six books, no, he's, he pisses me off. <laughs> he, he, can he can be, be a very frustrating character. Absolutely Jinx, frustrating. Yeah. Um, he's my favorite character. But I so started just saying that first, and then Whatever. you joined me. Sure. Give me Lori. Give <laughs> me. Like I'm not dealing with. No, you. I have to know what you think about my favorite character. So give me one or two sentences on whether or not you like Dumbledore. Um. Uh oh. <laughs> That's a tough one. All right, one or two sentences. I know, it's tough, right? The only tough part about this is the one or two sentences. Okay, let me see. Mm. The thing that... How I see Dumbledore, which is not easy to see, and which depends on Fantastic Beasts, Mm. is that he's actually no better than Snape, but he just lived way, way longer to do the atonement part for longer. Mm. I can understand that. And because we don't find out how bad his original past was until the very end. And then now with Fantastic Beasts, which I know some people just don't even bother with, mm. you know, we get into more of the ambiguity. 
Mm-hmm. So, but every, a lot of things make sense when you realize that Dumbledore used to be as bad as Snape. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was in a different century. <laughs> True. Um, Snape is very young when he dies. Like, people forget that because of Alan Rickman. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people forget that about the, all of the Marauders in that entire So generation. incredibly young. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, also, Snape, the character, was born old. Like, you know, like, as a one-year-old, yeah. he was already an old man. Yeah, old soul, um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I love Dumbledore. Uh, the difficulty with reading Dumbledore is that I believe sometimes he is portrayed as a character, and sometimes he's a stand-in for God. Ooh. And when he's I, yeah. in one mode, it contradicts how he's written in the other mode. So, okay. for example, when he takes a baby and gives him to the Dursleys, he's a stand-in for God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But people read him as a character in a novel and say, how could he do that? He's met the Dursleys. Well, that's because he's not acting as a character right now. He's acting as God. He's answering the question, how can such things happen in the world? That is so interesting. Mm-hmm. I like but, that a lot. You know, that, Free will, but man. when he's, like, <laughs> crying over Harry yes. and saying... I have to give Harry the talk. Should I give it when he's 11, 12, 13? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Maybe when he's 90, I'll tell him. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Can I keep him alive long enough to do that? That's, you know, then he's a, a character in fiction, right? A uh, folklore slash novel character. Mm-hmm. So there are inconsistencies, and it's, I think the only way for me to make sense of Dumbledore when I'm reading him is to make sure I know which mode is on. Interesting. But with both modes, I love him. We'll keep you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I have to go back with a PS about Remus. Oh, um, I'm scared. <laughs> I, I had to seriously look into this because I did not understand why so many people love this guy who's like pissing me off so much. So I had to go in there saying, okay, the conclusion I have reached is that something about him reminds me of something about myself that I can't stand. But what is it? And it took me a really long time to find out because we don't like to look at these things about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, I love Snape because he reminds me about the parts of myself that I'm proud of, that I worked hard for, Mm -hmm. that were not fun at any point. Um, You know, and other people hate Snape like they remind themselves, he reminds them of something that they really don't want to think about and really dislike. but, you know, Remus, every time he did anything questionable, I just wanted to kick him. I'm like, okay, that's a really personal response. And, yeah, and when I finally figured it out, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, I would say that I think the author does not feel that way about Remus. I think she does not. She, I think he does not remind her of her own flaws. Mm-hmm. So she writes him with a lot of sympathy. Mm-hmm. Like, she writes his flaws in, but she doesn't, like, look down on him. But the way she writes Snape, she writes his flaws, but she, like, spits on him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remus, Remus is written she's... as, like, a pitiable person. I yeah. believe that I... she has come out and said that Remus was one of her favorite characters. She has. Yeah. In the series. Like, she's, she's totally... She favors you... him. A lot of her characters are um, people where they're harder on themselves than other people are. And 
when it's Remus, she's on the side of looking at him sympathetically. Yeah. When it's Snape, she's on the side of when people beat themselves up and they're like, no, I'm, I'm disgusting and worthless. Um, so it just, I just measure it by like how much personal, irrational response is in uh, how I feel about characters. Like, oh, you know, the way that I want to kick this fictional character you know, it must be me. <laughs> I think that there was a lot of really fantastic Remus fan fiction that was put out in the oh yeah in the early days too that made people really fall in love with him. So, speaking for yourself, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay. Do, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. We were talking about Spinner's End. <laughs> I, did this, I warn you guys? I warned is, you guys, right? This, uh, but you fit right in. This is what we do. This, this is, is a like... of like episode. <laughs> yeah. It's, this is normal. All right. Yeah. <laughs> just, just so long as I didn't sell myself as someone who actually can stay on track. <laughs> no, you're we don't sell ourselves you're, like that. You're so it's better fine. than us, really so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> Um, so going back, the next point is talking about like how only Voldemort can kill Harry. So Bellatrix wants to know like why Snape hasn't killed Harry when he's had like unfettered access to him. And he responds with like, you know, another jab of being like, well, did you ask Voldemort about it? Of course she didn't because she's not going to put herself (laughs) in that position. Um, and Snape knows that like Voldemort basically wants the honor of killing Harry himself. Um, and Snape doesn't know that Harry has to be the one to kill Voldemort himself. And as Laurie writes, it is in the interest of all of Voldemort's enemies to encourage this whim. Um, so Bellatrix needs to hear these things like from Voldemort rather than Snape, because obviously she's more likely to believe Voldemort than Snape. But Snape also knows that she's not going to ask him about it because she wouldn't. And, you know, she doesn't. She doesn't want Voldemort viewing her any less anyway. So, like, her coming to him and asking a question, being like, well, why did you do this? And why why aren't you questioning why he didn't kill Harry? Like, she doesn't want Voldemort looking hurt in any negative kind of way. And so Snape is really using that to his advantage when answering these things and really kind of telling her lies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really also works to Snape's advantage that obviously Voldemort's not mad at Snape that he didn't kill Harry because he needed Harry to get his back to having a body. So like it all worked out. Baby Voldy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the next lie is about Harry having no talent. Um <laughs> and you know, Snape This is his favorite. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Snape tells Bellatrix that it became apparent to me very quickly that he had no extraordinary talent at all. And so he says that, like, Harry's accomplishments were really just because of luck and having more talented friends. And that's basically, like, the nicest thing he's ever said about Hermione. And he's never going to, it's like, but he's never going to say that to her face, you know? Um, It's okay. She doesn't need it. Yeah. No, absolutely not. No. (laughs) And, like, she, it would, it would be different. It was coming from, like, someone she actually, like, cared about, but from Snape she'd be like whatever I think and so I said a part of that conviction behind his words like and I was just like thinking is it the fact that you know Harry or not Harry Snape really doesn't like him and could it be that like he wishes that Harry and I was even thinking maybe James because of like his connection with Lily like if they weren't as talented like viewing uh when they were in school together like obviously Snape is extremely talented he like 
wrote in that book and did all of those things when he was still in school and like making potions better and making up spells and all of these things. But like nobody ever saw him that in that way because um, of the way he looks and he doesn't do Quidditch and he's a Slytherin and all of those things. Where like James is the complete opposite. Where like he looks good. He's a Quidditch guy. Like he's the uh, Quidditch guy. Also, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> but he also himself like they aren't sla- like they might be slackers, but they're not stupid. Like they also are talented. And I didn't know if there was like him having like a little like conviction behind him saying like he's not talented, even though like he is seeing it. It's like is he annoyed by that kind of thing, mm. or am I not care because he's a grown man? Uh, I think there's some of that I agree with and some I take a completely different angle on it. Um, I think Snape definitely um, hates when annoying people get credit, (laughs) you know, above him. Um, I think he also genuinely believes that Harry does not have exceptional talent in most areas. Um, And I think he's also predisposed to think that. (laughs) But But even if Harry were just anybody... He would think, you know, this kid is not great at anything except Defense Against the Dark Arts. But what I want people to pay attention to is that he never looks down on Harry's Defense Against the Dark Arts gifts. Even when they're arguing and he's teaching him, when Harry does, like, a good um, shield charm, even Mm -hmm. though it, like, knocks Snape off his feet Mm -hmm. when Harry looks into his memories anytime Harry does something good in defense against the dark arts Snape either like the worst thing he does is say nothing which is still you know a big praise from him Mm -hmm. or he (laughs) actually praises Harry you know or you know and he's impressed like when yeah so he knows that about him but the uh, tactic that I think he's using here I don't think he is letting his genuine feelings of annoyance come out in front of Bellatrix mm-hmm. because he's so on point during this meeting. And, you know, he would never make Bellatrix's mistake of letting his feelings come out here. Um, what he's doing is um, because the title of the book is Half-Blood Prince, so that's a pointer to Machiavelli, and... Um, you know, and he and Dumbledore have this Machiavellian approach to how to turn your um, opponent's weaknesses against them when you're trying to defend. Um, he, uh, they, he and Dumbledore have a tactic of um, encouraging the Death Eaters to underestimate Dumbledore and Harry. For sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that goes with um, him saying, you know, Harry's nothing. Don't worry about him. And so it sets up this really hilarious, terrible dynamic for Voldemort where Snape is comforting him, saying, no, my lord, there's nothing. There's nothing special about the boy. Nothing mm-hmm. at all. And mm-hmm. that only, le- you know, that which Voldemort thinks he wants to hear that. And actually what it just does is create Voldemort's self-doubt. Like, it must be me then. Drives him to <laughs> find the that. elder wand. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious. And um, the other thing, too, is that I think because Snape says that with legitimacy, you can't read people's minds. You can sort of get a read on their feelings and their images. Mm -hmm. So it is possible to manipulate and lie if 
this is Snape's whole hiding in plain sight thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Spinner's End is hiding in plain sight. Right. His lying to Voldemort is hiding in plain sight. Um, he hides his true mission behind the fact that he really doesn't like Harry. Yeah. He, you know, he really dislikes Harry. And so this is the thing that Voldemort will never understand. And it's also one of the major points of the whole series is um, the hard thing to do is to protect and die for people you hate. Anyone can die for someone they love. Right. Some people... Some rare heroes can die for people that they like or sort of care about or their families. But, you know, like like when Ron is on the broom and saying, Harry, if we die for them, I'll kill you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the hardest thing. And Snape hates. He really hates Harry, but he is going to do everything in his power to save this kid and genuinely hate him and Voldemort will never ever understand that and Snape can hide behind that so mm-hmm. he lets his genuine dislike for Harry as a person just come out there and then you know these people will never understand no wild oh. times yeah that's yeah. crazy accurate <laughs> spot on oh. part one yeah and then uh, the last part, and this goes into um, what Lori was just saying, too, with the lie being that Dumbledore um, believing, like, the best in people. So it's like to, he goes on to say, like, Dumbledore's greatest weakness. He has to believe the best in people. And again, like, Snape is using the fact that Bellatrix already doesn't trust him and that he has a track record of, like, not being, like, the best guy, but, like, they've known each other for years. They knew each other when he became a Death Eater. So, like... He's already on that track record, and so he's like, well, Dumbledore thinks that, like, I have this gem of goodness in me, and so, like, I'm just using that to my advantage. And I said he also probably believes this because, like, I think for Snape, he doesn't think he is a good guy at all, which I don't think that's even true because if he wasn't, if he didn't have some good in him, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing because I think that, um, and what we talked about earlier with, with him trying to right his wrongs of like the first time with all of these things happening and now he's trying to help save another boy when he couldn't in the beginning help. He chose not to help save the boy and it all went wrong. And now he's trying to like re kind of having a redo. Um, and so, you know, it just further helps like the narrative that he truly is a death theater and that he's on Voldemort's side because he's like, yeah, there isn't much good in me and like Dumbledore is choosing to trust me but like jokes on him i'm mm-hmm. not a good guy and well, i'm all the words dude that's literally the lie that the order also believes yes yeah. yeah you know like literally everybody in the wizarding world believes that lie except for snape and dumbledore and it's it's a difficult thing for him to pull off he snape does not know if he can do this yeah because it's every day a struggle for him to not be an incredible jerk. And I mean, there's lots of ways to be a jerk without splitting your soul. And he does all of them. You know, he's, and, you know when you know that about yourself and, you're, and you already know that there was a time when you actually contributed to, like, genocide. Yep. Um, and I mean, the position Snape is in is hair-raising. Like, if you commit, if you contributed to somebody dying, and then you are just sitting there waiting for the next ten years until their orphan comes into your class to look at your face every day, 
Yeah. Um, that's, you know, it's hard to live with. Something yeah. that I also think about, and I feel like it gets um, brushed over, is how how deep Snape was in living this and the things that he had to essentially just let happen in front of him, even being working for the good side, is charity burbage. And oh, it, it, oh, I could Jesus. cry. Like, I legitimately could cry. Charity Burbage is the person who is suspended over the table at Malfoy Manor, and she was a former Muggle Studies teacher at Hogwarts, and she's pleading with him. Mm -hmm. And Snape has to sit there, and he has to let her go. He has to control And she's a martyr. Yeah, like, like she she dies to keep this lie going until, you know, Harry can do what he needs to do. How much money would you bet on like Voldemort prying into Snape's mind in that moment. Oh, just like sure. oh, super dude. trying to figure Boring just to make sure Are you going to do anything? Wasn't, yeah. <laughs> that he wasn't like Any sign of feeling weakness. anything or, yeah. you know what I mean? He had to hide all of that. Snape's good. Well, in this instance too, we have to remember that like he has had this conversation with with um Dumbledore where he's agreed to kill him. And that is not an easy thing for him to do either. That whole thing, because he he doesn't even agree right away, and then with this whole unbreakable vow, doesn't agree right away. He takes a pause because he's he still is grappling with this as well. Like that's a, just another mm-hmm. like adding more coal to the fire of like what he has to do, choosing every single day. Every single it's day, not easy. Um. Oh, what was I? Th- oh, I think yeah. Watching Charity Burbage to his face. Mm. beg for comfort we know how snape keeps voldemort out of his mind he um the trick to occlumency is to think about somebody you love that you want to protect and that will enable you to keep your mind locked and give you the discipline even when this woman who says we were friends severus and you know you know that's the absolute truth yeah and you know it's the truth because would this author really give him the easy way out of watching a teacher die that he wasn't friends with? No, no. it's got to be like the worst experience ever. Um, so, yeah, Voldemort might have um, tried to get into his mind. But on the other hand, you know what? Actually, I'm not sure. I don't think Voldemort did because I think he was enjoying the moment so much that I think he was a little distracted. Taking out somebody who was teaching masses of children about to muggles. accept. I mean, this this muggles. thing where he like, you know, controls all his followers by torturing somebody for fun is like what life what makes life worth living for Voldemort. Yeah. This is the best fun you can have. I don't think he's checking in on Snape at that moment. I guess also by this point, Dumbledore's dead, so Snape has already chosen in Voldemort's mind. Snape's already yeah. proven himself oh, he's fully proven. faithful. To Voldemort. That's true. But he wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Oh, there's yes. a lot more. No. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot more. Um, okay. So that's that's just it for that's it this for time. right now. Yeah. But we will continue this conversation. We can't How can we let not? we can't let Lori go that that easily. No. <laughs> Next time we'll get into um, Narcissa, the Malfoy family, 
and their relationship with Snape and the Unbreakable Vow. So let's go Ooh. ahead and head over to the fan story. All right. This week's fan story comes from Jory. That's a super that cool a name. Super cool name. Hi to my four favorite Hogwarts students. I love them. Hi. Hi, my name is Jory, and I wanted to say quickly how much I love your podcast. I have loved Harry Potter for a long time, and finding your guys' podcast has really helped me out recently in more ways than I can ever explain. My Potter story is a little long. I was an avid reader when I was a kid, and my favorite place in the world to go was Borders Bookstore or the library. I love Borders! My mom had split from my biological dad when I was young, and I was flying between Michigan and California eight times a year. One year around Christmas, my mom had heard of a Harry, heard of Harry Potter, and specifically about how a little boy boarded a train and went to a magical castle to learn magic. Going to Michigan to visit my biological dad was a really hard thing for me, and without going into too many details, my Michigan life was like the Dursleys and had adopted some of Umbridge's methods. Mm. So my mom gave me the first three books, and there I was, eight years old, and reading through the first book on the plane to Michigan. I instantly connected with Harry Potter, and even more than that, California was my Hogwarts, and Michigan was my Dursleys. Mm. I grew up with these characters, and for a long time of my life they were my best friends when i got adopted by my stepdad we even had a harry potter themed adoption party for me when the fifth sixth and seventh book came out my mom and my adopted dad would take me to the midnight book releases and i would lay on the cold hardwood floor and not sleep or eat until i read it cover to cover (laughs) i would dress up for all the (laughs) i would dress up for all the midnight movie premieres and the only good thing to come out of the cursed child release was the excitement of going back to hogwarts and getting a book at midnight and being able to lay on the cold hardwood floor and reading it to cover to cover i mean like do you remember that feeling though whenever we were like it's almost time we have to go get in line for another harry potter book i'm gonna cry it was the best (laughs) i remember i was in mount vernon and i downloaded it because i downloaded it because i couldn't get a hard coffee uh recently i just called off a wedding and got out of a long and emotionally manipulative relationship that has left me messed up i decided to return back to hogwarts and found your podcast somewhere around the fourth book of my reread you guys along with harry ron and hermione have helped me get back on my feet and face the world again and especially you guys have helped me laugh and realize that things can suck but it's okay thank you for helping me out in more ways than i can truly explain sorry this was a little long don't be sorry and I totally understand if it's too long to read on your podcast. Not. Joke's on you. I'm reading it right now. <laughs> but I just wanted to explain the importance to people that would understand. By the way, I'm a proud Gryffindor and yes. I also have a phoenix feather core as a wand. Same. My Patronus is an otter. Oh my god. <gasps> that is so, so jealous. Weird. And my favorite characters have always been Fred and George. And most of the time, I refuse to accept <laughs> that Fred died. Acceptable. Thank you guys so much for your podcast and all the hard work. And I can't wait to hear more episodes. And I really hope one day I'll be able to make make one of the meetups you you have done. I totally have my per- you totally have my permission to read this too, in case you decided you want to. <laughs> Always, oh. Jory. Not me crying. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I I Jory. First of all, thank you so much for your story. I'm glad that you were able to you know get out of that relationship and you know uh that we can make you laugh that always gets me when people say that they were at like a low time in their life and they find our podcast and we help them laugh because we are absolutely unhinged (laughs) (laughs) and and it just it it makes me emotional because like you have moments in your life where you're like sometimes you don't get the opportunity to tell people like you helped me 
like get through my hard days and if we can be part of that as well as like harry potter which has helped every single person i'm sure that is here Mm -hmm. and it just it it brings me so much joy same Same. makes me cry same happy tears jory for you you rule and I, I'm just really appreciative of you. No. no, thank you for sending it to us. Yeah, yes, thank you. That hit me right in my heart. So we well, tell you. me, tell me a joke. Do you have a joke? I pulled one up on the interwebs because right, I only, only took, took two, two pictures. pictures. Yeah. All right. So let's see which one did I grab. Katie's oh. joke book is in Florida. It's okay. How do Death Eaters freshen their breath? Death mints. No, with Dementos. Oh. So close. (laughs) This is like the Coke and Pepsi of Death Eaters. (laughs) Candy aisle. (laughs) You eat those with Uh, some Diet Coke? Oh my God. God. What would happen? I don't know. They don't die. What about with pumpkin fizz? (laughs) Sarah, do you have any jokes sad? You always do. I don't always, and I don't. Today's that day. All right. Well, make sure that you follow your hosts on social media. Myself and Katie are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and Twitch. I swear to God, guys, us and Tiffany are gonna figure. We're out We're gonna Twitch. stream. It's gonna be fine. We're gonna do it. But just know our accounts are made. You can go follow us. It'll happen eventually. But you can follow myself and Katie at the Peaches Family. Tiffany is on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Tiff Swish underscore Flick. Sarah is on Instagram at O'Malley with three H's. And Lori, would you like to tell us your social media information? Yes. Um, well, I'm at LoriKim.com. That's where I put information about my snake book and also whatever random thoughts I'm having uh, and I have to look up what's my Twitter handle sorry <laughs> um, can we just leave it at lorikim.com because my thing isn't loading sure <laughs> <Your> <laughs> underscore lorikim underscore okay thank you <laughs> you're welcome no I just looked you up because you can find I think if you just type um, if you type in lorikim or even yeah, I think if you type in Lori Kim underscore, if you type in Snape in the search bar, you're first. Oh, good. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, we did it. We did it. We did part one. So, Lori, thank you so much for mm-hmm. you know coming on, giving your your just beautiful, beautiful brain that we could borrow for. How long has this been? Almost a couple of hours now. So we really appreciate it. And I am very much looking forward to to part two of this discussion with you. Yes. Same. Yeah. Thank you for letting me talk about this. I could go on. <laughs> we will. <laughs> also, I love other characters, too. I can go on about them, too. <laughs> well, this definitely won't be your last time on this podcast. I see a lot of episodes in our future, for sure. Woohoo. I I will even say nice things about Remus. (laughs) Wow. Now now that I've figured out the source of my annoyance. (laughs) You're welcome back into the family now. (laughs) All right. So that concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And don't let the muggles get you down. (gasps) Amazing. My voice.
even though I know my like like obviously we're the Petrus family, but I always get like really nervous when I'm gonna post it somewhere like you know, like Facebook dot com slash whatever and I'm like, is it the Petrus family or is it just Petrus family? I don't know. I don't wanna put the wrong thing. So I always have to go in and type it out. Family <laughs> okay, and it's working. Alright, awesome. perfect. Look. Flawless so far. Oh knock on wood. I'll be jinxing people. Okay. Sorry. Just trying to make her feel better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, are you ready? Mm-hmm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.